Thanks for tuning in. I'm Scott Walter. And I'm Michael Watson. In this episode, we take a look at the far-left interest groups, political consultants, and personalities behind Bill de Blasio, the mayor of New York City. This is the Influence Watch podcast. In November 2017, New York City voters cast their ballots for city offices, overwhelmingly returning Democratic incumbent Bill de Blasio to Gracie Mansion. De Blasio rose to power in 2013 on the back of a militantly left-wing agenda that would end 20 years of government by politically centrist law and, or law and order mayors Rudy Giuliani, a Republican, and Michael Bloomberg, a liberal, who is not aligned with either major party. Before you tune out because his honor is New York's problem, de Blasio has a national advocacy structure and took his re-election victory lap in Iowa. Engineering de Blasio's rise was the left-wing political consultancy Berlin Rosen and the far-left Working Families Party, as well as the labor union 1199 SEIU. That union represents healthcare workers in New York City. Once he reached the top, de Blasio's first term was a swirl of controversy as he went to great lengths to reward his friends. Despite a record of alleged corruption and controversy, the left-wing trend in liberal politics has de Blasio turning himself into a national figure. He set up an advocacy group, the Progressive Agenda Committee, to promote his left-wing approach nationwide. With another four years to make New York City the capital of resistance to the Trump administration and a laboratory for left-wing policies on crime, social issues, and economics, the forces that brought de Blasio to power may find themselves on the national stage. Uh, Mike, give us a little background on Mayor de Blasio. So before he gets elected mayor in 2013, de Blasio is a, a sort of a journeyman politician in the New York City Democratic Party. Uh, he served as a public advocate, which is a statewide elected, uh, or statewide, citywide elected office uh, that doesn't have all that much real, real power or authority, but it's a platform that you can advocate for whatever it is that, that the public advocate wishes, which of course, be, being New York City, usually is left-wing stuff. Yeah, he was actually the fourth choice of city Democrats for that first term, wasn't he? Yeah, the the 2013 Democratic mayoral primary in New York City was was very involved and very and very um, very divided. Uh, the favorite going in was said to be uh, uh, Christine Quinn, who was the Speaker of the City Council at the time. Uh, she was an ally of Bloomberg, uh, more politically centrist, but still very socially liberal. There was Bill Thompson, who had run and lost to Bloomberg in 2009, former comptroller. Uh, he was the choice of the public employee unions, the United Federation of Teachers, the Teachers Union. Uh, and then there was Anthony Weiner, who people watching this have probably heard of. Uh, the Chekhov gu Chekhov's gun of American politics was trying to make his first comeback from his, uh, from his sexting habit. Unfortunately, that did not happen, did it? Uh, former Representative Weiner was caught sexting again, so his campaign imploded. Uh, but and we should add, for on the influence side of things, he's of course famously married to Huma Abedin, who is one of Hillary Clinton's closest longtime aides. One of Hillary Clinton's closest longtime aides, and you know, Chekhov's gun. His it was 
uh, emails in his in the investigation into his sexting habit that led to them being reopened late in the 2016 election amid great controversy with possibly great implications. Yes. Um, so, uh, so the healthcare workers union though was the uh, was really the vehicle by which De Blasio rode to victory that first time. The healthcare workers union and the cable company workers unions. Uh, the eleven eleven ninety nine SCIU and the the local of the Communications Workers of America. Communications Workers of America is probably the most left wing private sector labor union. Uh, its uh, former president, a guy by the name of Larry Cohen, is uh, you know associated with Bernie Sanders's uh, sort of zombie presidential campaign, Our Revolution. Um, the CWA, in, as a national union, endorsed Sanders for the Democratic nomination in 2016, uh, and it, it associates with some very far far left, even by labor union standards. Um, and then 1199 SCIU um, is obviously part of the Service Employees International Union, one of the biggest union, uh, one of the biggest unions in the country. And on the national level, the SCIU is the largest organizational political spender, and we'll get to that later on in this in this broadcast. Um, but 1199 has a lot of power in New York, the entire, you know, statewide and in the city. And so when 1199, later supported by the CWA, backs de Blasio in 2013, that's when his campaign starts to get a bit of traction and starts to, uh, starts to advance. And they did so uh, precisely because uh, this was an alliance of the far left against the center by democratic standards. Right. The CWA uh, launched a massive attack campaign against Quinn, uh, when, which started to hurt her numbers. She eventually falls below Thompson uh, and comes, I believe, third ultimately. Thompson came second yes, uh, in the 2013 Democrat primary. Some of our listeners may find it a little shocking that people uh, thought that New York City was uh, very far uh, to the right <laughs> compared right, to where it uh, right. under to be. under <laughs> under Mike Bloomberg, you know the arch gun controller, the the soda uh, the, the uh, soda limiter. the soda ban guy. No, uh, but if you're a particular kind of Democrat, uh, you know we, if we can say that on the left they're kind of two broad factions. Obviously, they're subdivided into a bunch of other factions and. You know, all my Democrat friends will be like, no, 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 you've misdescribed it. There are actually 37 factions, two broad factions. One are uh, socially liberal, economically cautious in their left, in their leftism, uh, but, you know, aggressively socially liberal. Uh, they like Mike Bloomberg a lot because he isn't going to fundamentally reorient the uh the economic underpinnings of the market system, even though he is going to raise their taxes, even though uh, he's going to be more regulate more pro-regulation than, say, a generic Republican. Um, and then you have the labor populists. And the labor populists, the Communications Workers Union, the SEIU, that's where, those are de Blasio's people. That's where the the energy for his campaign came. Now, there's another organization, uh, Influencer, uh, well worth discussing on this score, 
uh, and though it's related to our union friends, and that would be well, the working right, families. You, you, you say related. You, I, I would say heavily funded by and a stalking vehicle for the agenda of. There you uh, go. The, the, the Working Families Party uh, is... So New York has a weird uh, voting system. In, in most states, you know, in Washington, D.C., where I vote, you know, all the candidates are there. Everybody has one line. You fill in a bubble. That's, that's how many, you know, and then you tally up the votes. In New York State, there are lots of lines, and some of them have the same names. So the Conservative Party of New York tends to endorse Republicans, although it doesn't always. Uh, so if you vote for, to use the 2016 presidential election as an example— uh, if you voted for Donald Trump on the Republican line, he doesn't get just those votes. He also gets the votes for Donald Trump on the conservative line. Likewise, if you voted for Hillary Clinton, you could vote on the Democratic line. You could vote on the working families line. And those would be summed together with, a, with any of the other lines that she was on and would be total up together. And then the winner would be determined by the sum total of these lines. It's called fusion voting. Uh, the left in the 1990s was really big on fusion voting. They really wanted this because they saw it as a way to push the Clinton-era, Bill Clinton-era Democrats who had gone kind of over towards this gentry-liberal faction where they would combine the social liberalism of 1990, which is the social conservatism of today, <laughs> um, with uh, centrist economics, you know, pro, you know, pro-NAFTA, pro uh, not eager to raise tax to raise taxes as much as a um, you know as a Mike Dukakis might have been. The they hoped to use this fusion voting to, as a as a lever to push the Democrats further to the left, and they formed this is where you get the new party, uh, which was involved in helping launch the career of future President Barack Obama. They sued, went to the Supreme Court to try to get fusion voting instituted nationwide. Supreme Court says no, new party breaks up. But the guys who were behind the new party brought the idea to New York because New York had fusion voting. And they found the Working Families Party with support from the labor unions. Yes. Uh, so the Working Families Party was uh, another institution that was important for uh, de Blasio's rise, and I, let me, I should put in a quick plug for our influencewatch.org website. We have a full write-up on this fascinating but very little known entity. Uh, and then there's another uh, entity, institution, that also was important for de Blasio's rise and, um, uh, and also is featured on influencewatch.org for, for listeners who want to learn more, and that would be Berlin Rosen. Tell us about them. So Berlin Rosen are the uh, communications consultants. So for, they're a pro, for-profit company. Uh, every politician has a number of consultants supporting them, a number of political professionals who do things like develop your message, uh, do buy media. They, they carry out sort of the technical back-behind-the-scenes stuff of politics. Uh, if you're watching like C, you know, if you're watching CNN or MSNBC or Fox News and somebody comes on and is you know, ex-Republican strategist or ex-Democratic strategist. Uh, at some point in the past, they were one of these consultants, either a general consultant or a communications consultant. That's probably where they got, you know, how they got that, um, how they got that title of strategist. 
Yep. Now, uh, once these groups had all helped de Blasio to get the Democratic uh, nomination for mayor, uh, he had a relatively, after all those battles were over, he had a relatively easy time in the general election, uh, facing only token opposition, but he didn't have the simplest of first terms, did he? Uh, no, because he got... He got really chummy with his consultants, uh, Jonathan Rosen, who is one of the who is the Rosen in Merlin Rosen, uh, was one of his closest aides. Uh, when there were questions about financing and campaign finance shenanigans, and he was running a nonprofit out of City Hall, the Campaign for One New York, and the general consultant communications consultants were Merlin Rosen. Uh, the questions about whether that was entirely above board, eventually got investigated by the New York City District Attorney, by the Campaign Finance Board, and uh, de Blasio tried unsuccessfully to get his communications with Jonathan Rosen uh, protect privileged from open records laws as an agent of the city. Uh, Which would be an odd thing for a nonprofit entity. An odd thing for the consultant to a nonprofit entity, uh, the for-profit consultant to a nonprofit entity. Um, the the courts did not look kindly upon upon that designation, and the emails had to be released. Yeah. Now there also were fights with another New York Democrat, uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo, probably because uh, both Cuomo and de Blasio realized that one of them was going to end up king of the hill uh, for the Empire State. Uh, can you tell us a bit about that? So New York City mayors and New York state governors, even if they're of the same party as they were for much of the 90s when it was Rudy Giuliani and George Pataki, obviously now with de Blasio and Cuomo, uh, they, they, they are known to, to fight. They, the governor controls the city transit authority. Um, the governor and the mayor, again, both trying to be king of the hill. Uh, with Cuomo and de Blasio, there was also a bit of an ideological struggle. Uh, Cuomo is more of that gentry liberal side, uh, gentry liberal and building trades unions, uh, whereas de Blasio is more ideological progressives and uh, left wing of labor. Uh, so they were fighting over things like taxes. They were fighting uh, over how to finance a, a new pre-K entitlement. De Blasio wanted a millionaire's tax. Cuomo did not want that. Uh, so Cuomo orchestrated a way to get it through the state legislature without without a millionaire's tax. Yes, and if you anybody who's looked into the budget of New York State can understand Andrew Cuomo's concerns about that because the flood of people leaving New York, uh, especially high-dollar ones, and heading for tax havens like Florida is you, significant. People who live in New York tend to like living in New York, but I don't think they have the same ability as California to ride on their climate to keep the high, the high, high taxpayers in in the state. Yes, especially if, especially when the alternative is Florida. If you're a wealthy seventy-something who already has a spot in Florida, uh, and you start spending some time with your estate attorneys on just what the state of New York tends to intends to swipe from you at your death. Because uh, Florida not once, only doesn't once have you, income, but once, doesn't have an estate tax. Once you figure out that a first that a first class flight from uh, from Fort Lauderdale to LaGuardia is cheaper, uh, you know, to, to go to the shows when you want to go to the shows is cheaper than what the New York State tax man is expecting you to pay up. Uh, you know, it's perhaps understandable. 
Well, so despite all these, this turmoil, in his first term, Mayor de Blasio, uh, by the time 2017 rolls around and it's time for another primary and another general election, um, he didn't face much opposition. Um, but uh, it is still well worthwhile looking deep into the influencers and support structures that Blasio has in place, because obviously uh, America has not heard the last of Bill de Blasio. Uh, let's go back to the Berlin-Rosen Strategic Communication Consultancy uh, and dig a little deeper there. So de Blasio isn't the only major client of Berlin-Rosen. Uh, the other big one is Eric Schneiderman, who's the Attorney General of New York State, might run for governor at some point in the future because that's what all attorney generals really want to do. Um, and, you know, has tried to make, has made a big name of himself as one of, as the legal wing of the resist, of the supposed resistance to the Trump administration. Uh, Berlin Rosen also is a major communication consultant for major labor unions, most notably the Service Employees International Union. Uh, the, you may remember for a few years from about 2012 to 2017 to 2016 big you know quote unquote fast food strikes you know supposedly this was the big walkout this was going to revitalize labor this was going to get a $15 minimum wage was going to unionize McDonald's yeah it was mostly concocted at Berlin Rosen uh, they were paid millions of dollars by the SEIU to create these strike-in-a-box, you know, campaign strategies. Uh, and at one point, one of these quote-unquote strikes, even an AP reporter, had to had to write in, in a write-up, you know, it wasn't clear how many of the demonstrators were worker, were actual workers, fast food workers, or were members of the communications consultancy that was supporting the campaign which we may read to mean Berlin Rosen. <laughs> yes, the, uh, it's, it's uh, a great irony uh, in a way that the, uh, the, seems to happen somewhat uh, frequently on the left that the constituencies they claim to be speaking for uh, are not actually there. Uh, the, the, level well, of, the level of orchestration that sometimes has to go into some of these campaigns. Now, not all the time. Uh, I think... Even though there was institutional support for something like the Women's March, I think that was more like the Tea Party, where there was institutional support for the Tea Party, but that was mostly an organized, I don't like the president. Um, yes, actually, in both, in both those cases, it was a genuine groundswell. Yeah, a genuine, a genuine groundswell of supporters of the, of the party that is in the opposition and doesn't like what the president is doing. Um, in the case of some of these other things, oh, why does everyone all of a sudden care about net neutrality? Why does everyone all of a sudden want a $15 minimum wage? Then you're getting into organized influence campaigns, uh, some of which involve this, what you might call astroturfing. You know, supposedly, supposedly there are grassroots. I, I've been in Washington long enough to be skeptical that grassroots exist. Um, and, uh, but actually what you're seeing is some, a, a campaign being laid out by professional organizers backed by an established interest. Yep. Now, I, I, I won't go too far afield on this because it's probably uh, it probably should be an entire uh, separate show. But you mentioned that Berlin Rosen has also worked for the New York State Attorney General, Eric Schneiderman. Uh, Schneiderman, uh, we should note, was one of the leading state attorneys general of the 17 who uh, have tried to go after ExxonMobil uh, in the kind of shakedown of, uh, that was done previous decades 
um, against the tobacco industry, uh, because obviously ExxonMobil has deep pockets too, and those uh, state attorneys general um, are mixed up in a, uh, a little cabal um, of environmental groups uh, that are slowly, thanks to some of our friends at Judicial Watch, having their, um, their emails uh, uncovered uh, to show the kind of uh, working together relationships that some of these state attorneys generals and governors have had with a lot of uh, environmental groups. Funny, 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 funny you should bring up Greens uh, and for whom Berlin Rosen has consulted because Schneiderman's not the only one. Uh, in 2016, after the general election, uh, you might remember the Green Party's candidate, Jill Stein, doing these quote-unquote recounts. Uh, her communications consultants during those recounts were Berlin Rosen. Aha. The, um, well, you also mentioned, uh, mentioned the, uh, the Coalition for, uh, for One New York. Campaign for One New York. Sorry, Campaign for One New York. Um, tell us a bit more about that. So in New York City, and this goes back, I think, at least to the Bloomberg administration, there's the city hall has had these you know in-house nonprofit essentially in-house nonprofits that promote the mayor promote the mayor's agenda uh, lobbying and you know by lobbying and advocacy um, a lot of good government groups see them as slush funds uh, that if you have business it is probably not out of the goodness of the hearts of the American Federation of Teachers, which is the parent of the United Federation of Teachers, the main teachers union in New York City, uh, gave uh, six-figure contributions to the campaign for One New York while the UFT was negotiating a new contract. Um, you, may, you, you can see where the appearance of impropriety may, may, uh, may, may, uh, may be warranted. Um, and... Uh, part of what de Blasio did with his, the campaign, in the first term, it was the campaign for One New York, uh, was he used it to reward his friends. Uh, and he gave Berlin Rosen a half million dollar retainer to be the communications consultants for campaign for One New York. He was also running in, so New York state politics are fascinating. And perhaps the weirdest part of them is that Instead of the normal two-party system in their legislature, in the state Senate, they have a three-and-a-half-party system. You have Republicans, who are normal Northeastern Republicans, uh, you know, too close to the labor unions for comfort, a bit big government-y, but mostly Republican. You have the Democrats, who are normal Northeastern Democrats, really liberal. And then you have the Independent Democratic Conference, who are breakaway Democrats, who have no ideology discernible independent of Democrats other than they want to be important, and they, they coalition with the Republicans to give the Republicans effective control of the state Senate. And then the half a party is one, uh, one senator from Brooklyn who is a Democrat but sits in the Republican caucus room. This, needless to say, annoys Bill de Blasio, who wants the Democratic Party, which is more New York City-based. The Republican Party of New York is mostly, up, especially in the state Senate, is upstate-based in the rural and small towns uh, north of Westchester County. De Blasio wants power 
unified in New York City. Uh, so he, in 2014, ran cam, you know, ran these campaigns to oust independent Democratic conference and Republican members from the state Senate. And the way he did it got him an investigation from the state and city campaign finance authorities. Because what they were doing was de Blasio would, would tell de Blasio's people would allegedly tell big liberal megadonors that they should support county Democratic parties upstate uh, who are al- supporting candidates who are aligned with de Blasio and the mainline Democrats. Uh, and then the local Democratic parties would route their funds to consultants aligned with de Blasio, including Berlin Rosen. And then the mega donors would also give money to the campaign for one New York. Now, what you're not allowed to do in under campaign finance law, if you're a 501c4 like campaign for one New York, is talk to local political parties and candidates' campaigns. That's that's a no-no. That's what a, that's what the Supreme Court said differentiated an independent expenditure. I believe in you know left-wing New York City liberalism, so I'm going to support candidates who support that independent of their campaigns. And then a campaign contribution, an in-kind campaign contribution. I'm going to I'm a left-wing liberal, and I'm going I like left-wing liberal candidates, so I'm going to give services in lieu of money to some candidate in Utica. Now, we should say here, of course, that uh, these kind of campaign finance laws uh, with which Berlin Rosen and de Blasio have had uh, unhappy uh, encounters, those laws were all uh, created by the left-wing movement for campaign finance reform, which exists to hamstring the parties and then has the practical effect of causing the production of these kind of outside groups because if the political party has big limits on what it can right. raise you can't, and spend, you, can, you can't give you can't give as much money as you would like to the the Monroe County Democratic Party so to get your candidate elected in Rochester you have to route it through these through these weirdnesses and yeah the, it was mostly the good government the quote-unquote good government left that thought oh this is how we will get corruption out yeah. or as they say in New York sneeringly about the so-called good government types the goo-goos <laughs> um, precisely because of course, the, the goo-goos claiming to, to, that they're going to clean up politics only make it even more Byzantine, more dark, and probably more corrupt. I mean, it's, you know, to, to a brief aside on corruption in New York State, you know, although I think all the convictions are going to be thrown out under the McDonnell rule, uh, the Supreme Court decision that uh, made it much, much harder to prove a bribery, uh, a bribery, convic- a bribery charge. Um, involving former Virginia Governor Bob McDonnell. Um, the, at one point, the Speaker of the State Senate, or the President of the State Senate, the Speaker of the State House of Representatives, had both been convicted of corruption, and the Governor of New York State and the Mayor of New York City were under investigation but never charged. <laughs> yes. The, uh, they could give Illinois a run for their money. Uh, Well, let's switch now from Berlin Rosen uh, to the Working Families Party uh, that you mentioned earlier. Uh, We've already explained how uh, 
minor parties become important in New York because you can get multiple endorsements. If you're Hillary Clinton running, you don't just want to have that Democratic right. party ju- line. You don't get just the Democratic line. You get the Democratic line. You get the Working Families line. There's an Independence Party, which usually endorses whoever's going to win. Uh, and then, you know, on the on the right wing side, you have the the Conservative Party, and those are kind of the five. That there's also the Women's Equality Party, which is just in the pocket of Bill de Bla- of not de Blasio of Cuomo. Yep. Um, now the. Um, you mentioned how Working Families Party uh, has a heavy ties to labor unions, gets lots of its money from the labor unions, but there are other left-wing groups that also have connections to Working Families Party. So you may remember the the old Acorn uh, community organizing uh, enterprise that was that broke up among amid many allegations of many campaign finance and and other shenanigans, vote fraud, and yeah. Uh, <clears throat> in the in the late, kind of late 2000s, um, it was closely closely aligned with the SEIU and some of these other left wing labor unions, and it and its people, you know, and it and the the people who work for uh, the the SEIU in New York were integral in in creating the Working Families Party. Yep, and the uh, we should add anytime we bring up Acorn. Um, that that is cert- something that uh, both InfluenceWatch.org and our uh, our parent think tank, the Capital Research Center, uh, so CapitalResearch.org, has a great deal uh, to contribute on the research of that. And of course, our uh, Vice President Matthew Vadim is the author of an entire book on the Acorn Network, uh, which we should probably devote a show to because while the network officially went bankrupt uh, in 2010, it there are still many of its state chapters. The labor, the labor unions that provided the financial support, uh, basically opened with many of the same activi- you know, same activist leaders, many of the same, in in some cases, the same address, uh, offices under under names. Yeah, exactly. So the, the, there's still a good bit of the network left. Um, well, the third entity that we've uh, mentioned is critical in uh, the De Blasio machine is the uh, local 1199 of SEIU, also known as the Union That Rules New York. And to give some credit for that Union That Rules New York tag, that comes from Daniel DeSalvo of the Manhattan Institute, um, a center-right think tank based in Manhattan. Um, So it's the New York City-based healthcare unit of the Service Employees International Union, which is one of the biggest and most politically involved unions in the United States. Uh, It's... 1199 is probably more politically savvy than its parent, uh, although it's been led by very ideologically left-wing uh, left-wing leadership. Uh, it knows when to play footsie with the state Republicans. Uh, in the 1990s, the Republicans held the governorship and held a majority in the state Senate. Uh, so the 1199 made nice with the with the governor and with. Uh, state Senate Republicans in order to get uh, benefits, more uh, more jobs, expansions of Medicaid. Um, out of and, and again, this is a pure marriage of you know pure uh, now divorced marriage of convenience. Um, and it claim eleven ninety nine claims to have one hundred thousand registered Democrats in New York City, uh, which gives them a massive ability to shift a city Democratic primary, which they showed in 2013 when they backed de Blasio and 
kind of pushed him towards and ultimately over the line. And as we said at the beginning, uh, all of this should matter to not just uh, New York City residents, not just New York State residents, uh, but arguably uh, everybody in the country because the New York City mayor is in many ways more like a state governor uh, than simply a city mayor. There, I mean, 8 million people live in New York City. If New York City were a state, I believe it would be in the top 15 in by population. Uh, you know, I mean, 8 million is the size, is roughly the size of the state of Virginia. Yes. It's a, it's a massive position. Again, Rudy Giuliani, although he was unsuccessful, used his, used, uh, his perch as mayor to launch a run for president. Uh, you know, every four years people ask, is Michael Bloomberg going to run for president? Uh, you know, partly because he could sell finance. Partly, some, be, partly because Bloomberg has the money to sell finance. And, and we should add that's another uh, thing that we should credit our left-wing friends in campaign finance reform for. Uh, one of the things that the Supreme Court has never gone along with is the idea that you could stop uh, me from contributing to my own political campaign. And therefore, since campaign hey. finance reform got "quote unquote" work to get money out of politics, in fact, you have. Billionaires ever, now ever, more prominent. ever since another another prominent New Yorker, then Senator, now Federal Judge James Buckley, uh, won a Supreme Court case back in the seventies. To uh, it, it has been the position of the Supreme Court that any money you give to your own campaign is your own free speech, so you can spend whatever you like. So let's credit the campaign finance folks in part for uh, the Trump victory, since he I, is another self-financing billionaire. I'm sure they'll be proud to, uh, of that. Again, you know, this this now makes two weeks where we've caught the where the left has butterfly affected themselves into a position that they probably don't want to be. That's right. Well, <laughs> speaking of de Blasio's ambitions on the national stage, uh, one of the uh, one of the points uh, adduced. Uh, in evidence uh, of those would be a 501c4 that he formed. Tell us about that. So in 2015, as the uh, Democratic primaries for the 2016 election and kind of the debates about what uh, what sort of position the Democratic Party was going to take going forward uh, were were being announced, you know, de Blasio comes out with this progressive agenda, uh, a laundry list of left-wing things that he wanted, like a new paid leave entitlement, a new, uh, you know, $15 minimum wage, make it easier to unionize, the usual. Yeah. Uh, and he had also, uh, it, come, it turned out, formed a 501c4 organization, an advocacy group, uh, which he called the Progressive Agenda Committee, uh, to promote his, his progressive agenda and, one suspects, his own personal profile. Uh, you know, he hasn't done much with it recently. Uh, the only year for which tax records are available, it spent like $430,000. Uh, but you don't, you don't set up an organization like that to raise your national profile unless you want a national profile. Yes, and of course we're a ways away from uh, the next presidential cycle when it might come in more handy for him. Uh, well, the, uh, the Working Families Party brand is also... Uh, apparently, thinking about uh, going national, of course, that would mean a big uh, not, thing. Not just, think, not just thinking about they are. Uh, you know, many, mostly the, the liberal states, they're, uh, other than New York, their big states are Connecticut and Oregon, uh, which are both pretty, pretty strongly Democratic. Um, but, yeah, they are looking to expand out of New York, uh, not in, to, and not just in states that have fusion voting, because they're trying to bring 
the working quote unquote working families brand. Uh, they have you know uh, they have in addition to the party they have a five hundred one c four the working families organization, which played heavily in the recent elections in New Jersey. Uh, the and what's what should be kind of concerning about for for people interested in uh, in the influence being being employed here is that people haven't really heard about work about working families about where it came from about what its ideology is and what it what its alignment with some very far left interests are that according to a uh, campaign uh, campaign proposal memo which was acquired uh, by the Washington Free Beacon back before the 2016 elections, was that polling that was conducted by the Working Families Organization, the 501c4 of the party, and the Center for Popular Democracy Action Fund, which is a left-wing organizing and political advocacy group, which we will absolutely at some point cover, uh, found that working fam- the Working Families Party, the Working Families Organization, was, quote, a credible messenger and moderate voice rather than one on the far left, close quote, in the eyes of voters. Which just happens to be the exact opposite of Which happens to be the exact opposite of the actual truth. Yes. Uh, Again, we can surmise this is because they have absolutely no name recognition outside the city of New York. (laughs) Yes, and the unions, of course, working families is a trope that uh, the unions have used for decades. A long time uh, union union slogan. Yep. Uh, Well, the... Uh, local SEIU that de Blasio's been uh, involved with, the 1199, that too, uh, along with its parent organization, uh, will almost certainly have a significant national uh, uh, effect in the coming cycles. When, when, when you think about you know, the involvement of quote-unquote big labor in politics, SEIU is the biggest part of big labor when it comes to politics. Uh, according to the uh, Center for Responsive Politics over which the, is a left wing which is a, which is a left of center organization, the of organizational contributors and of identifiable employers of major single single issue mega donors. Uh, six out of the top ten through the twenty sixteen cycle are labor are labor unions, and the SCIU is still the largest, even in the age of Tom Steyer, of Sheldon Adelson, of the Mercers, and the Cokes, Merc- the Cokes, Mer- Mercer's business partner, who's a liberal, <laughs> former business partner, who's a liberal. Um, even in the age of them, of of these of these billionaire mega donors, the SCIU is still the largest organizational contributor. Yes, uh, not something that frequently appears <laughs> in the news reports on campaigns uh, in our major media. Sadly, no, because the SCIU gives ninety nine point five plus percent of its contributions to the left and to Democrats. Yes. So, uh, well, the before I wrap up our show this week, I just want to urge everybody who's listening or watching, uh, you can find much, much more on all of the groups that we've talked about, uh, the SEIU 1199, the Working Families Parties, uh, the Berlin Rosen Communications Firm, uh, by going to influencewatch.org. Uh, That's our show for this week. Uh, If you're listening to this on iTunes or Stitcher, know that we broadcast a live video version of this podcast at 10 a.m. on Thursdays on Facebook Live and YouTube, and you can find our pages by searching for Capital Research Center. If you're watching the video version, we encourage you to subscribe to the audio version on your preferred podcast platform. We'll see you next week.